We turn in God's word to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, we begin reading at verse 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We, who are Jews by nature, and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, But by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Thus far we read God's holy word. Our text is verse 20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Beloved, in Galatians chapter 2, we have the confrontation between two apostles. 
the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter. Paul withstood Peter to his face. Why? Because Peter was guilty of hypocrisy. That word dissembling or dissimulation or dissemble means hypocrisy. And the hypocrisy was this, beloved. Peter was among the Gentile believers in Antioch. He was happy to eat with them, to have fellowship with them. And then certain Jewish Christians, Judaizers really, came from Jerusalem. And then Peter withdrew himself from the Gentiles would no longer eat with them or fellowship with them, and rather would eat only with the Jews. And Paul calls this behavior hypocrisy, because he was changing his behavior depending on who was there. This was the fear of men which brought a snare to Peter. And then, of course, this hypocrisy begins to spread in the church. Barnabas, even, we are told, followed Peter's example. Verse 10, and the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation or with their hypocrisy. Now, Paul does not view this simply as bad manners, that certain people are not eating with other people in the church, but Paul views this as a gospel issue. Verse 11, But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said, and then Paul rebukes Peter and withstands him to his this. Why is this a gospel issue? Because, beloved, the gospel says it does not matter in the church if you are a Jew or a Gentile. The gospel says it is not necessary for you to keep the law, including here the Jewish food laws and the laws that separated the Gentiles from the Jews, it's not necessary for you to keep the law in order to be justified. And here Peter and Barnabas and the Jewish Christians, well, they claimed to believe that gospel. And yet, when these Judaizers came from Jerusalem, they did not behave as if they believed the truth of that gospel. They do not walk according to the truth of that gospel. And this is so serious then, this is so shocking that Peter, an apostle, would behave this way that Paul must rebuke him. In response, Paul explains and applies the gospel to Peter and to Barnabas and to the Jewish Christians, and to the Gentile Christians, 
unto us today. He reminds them of what they already knew. Gracious justification by faith alone without works. Verse 16, knowing, we know this already, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. And that phrase, the faith of Jesus Christ, means faith in Jesus Christ, faith of which Jesus Christ is the object. And again, verse 16, we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ or by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. And then Paul applies this truth to the situation and to himself. In essence, he says to Peter, Peter, you confess that justification is by faith alone without works. But by your behavior in the church, you are now acting as if your justification did depend upon your works. Otherwise, Peter, why are you living as if you were still living under the law for justification? And why are you now compelling or forcing the Gentiles to live as if they were also under the law for justification? And then later on in the chapter, he then makes a personal confession. I, verse 19, I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. And what Paul means there is that my relationship to the law has changed. I am dead to that law. And because my relationship to the law has changed, I now live in a certain way. I live by the faith of the Son of God. I live by faith, not by keeping the law in other words. But Peter, although he confesses the same truth, he is living as if he were not dead to the law. And he is encouraging others in the church to live as if they were not dead to the law. And that's why Paul must rebuke him. And Paul says there's another way to live, not under the law, or seeking one's justification by the law, but by faith. The life, he says in our text, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And that's our theme this morning, beloved, living by the faith of the Son of God. Notice first the explanation for this, second the meaning of this, and third the motivation for this. This is a very beautiful text, beloved, but it is also a complicated and even confusing text. If you read the text carefully, 
two things will strike you. First, the personal confession of the Apostle Paul. I and me. And second, the prevalence of the verb to live or the idea of life or living. Read the text again and notice those two things. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ, liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Eight personal references to I or me and five references to life or living. Now the complicated part of the text or the confusing part of the text is this. Who lives? Who lives? And there are two individuals mentioned here in the text who are described as living or not living. On the one hand, the Apostle Paul lives. Verse 20, Nevertheless, I live, and the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. On the other hand, Paul says that he does not live, yet not I. Who lives then? Christ, but Christ lives in me. So the Apostle Paul lives, but he does not live. Instead, Christ lives in Paul. How then are we to understand these confusing, mysterious, and yet wonderful words? Indeed, in terms of quantity, there are more references to the Apostle Paul's living than to Paul's not living and to Christ's living. Three references to the Apostle Paul's living. One, nevertheless, I live. Two, the life which I now live. And three, I live. And one reference to the Apostle Paul's not living, yet not I. And one reference to Christ's living, but Christ liveth in me. And for those who say there is no I in salvation, that should give them pause. Of course there is an I in salvation. I am the one who is saved. And I am the one working out my own salvation. I do not accomplish my salvation. I do not merit my salvation. I do not contribute to my salvation. My salvation, God's saving of me, is God's work. Appealing to this text, beloved, some have fallen into the error of mysticism. 
Mysticism is the error of confusing the believer's personality or the believer's person with Christ's personality or Christ's person so that those two personalities or persons are merged into one. And mystics appeal to this text by emphasizing that phrase, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And then the idea is something like this. I do not believe Christ believes through me and in me and for me and instead of me. And I do not repent, but Christ repents in me and through me and for me and instead of me. An extreme mysticism go so far as to confuse the believer with Christ himself. So that it's not merely that the believer lives out of Christ, which is true, or that the believer is in Christ, which is also true, or that the believer enjoys union with Christ, which is also true, but that the believer is Christ. And so the extreme mystic will say, I am Christ, and Christ is me. That's not the meaning, of course. That's false doctrine to say that. Christ works in me by his Holy Spirit so that I believe and I repent and I live the Christian life. That's correct. That's true doctrine. But mysticism confuses the believer's personality with Christ. And of course, mysticism, as we saw last week, we looked at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, mysticism leads to passivity, to not doing anything in the Christian life. And it must, because if I do not live, but Christ lives in me and through me and for me and instead of me, then I do not do anything. Christ does it all instead. And then I can live as I please, while Christ does it all in me, through me, for me, instead of me, without any effort on my part, any conscious participation of me, any activity of mine, but simply Christ lives through me, for me, instead of me. And that, of course, is the extreme position taken by some on this text. Mysticism, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. But we haven't answered our question yet. Who lives? Does Paul live? Does Christ live? How are we to understand this? Well, the key to understanding this, beloved, is to understand that Paul is speaking here of himself in two ways or in two senses or from two different perspectives. Who he was and who he now is. Paul here describes a transformation in his life which is so radical, so fundamental that one could almost say that Paul is a new person person. 
I say almost, because strictly speaking, we do not become new persons when we are converted. We become new creatures. We have a new heart. We have a new life. We have a new man. But we are not new persons. Let me explain that further. The old Paul versus the new Paul. The old Paul is Saul of Tarsus. The old Paul is the unbeliever, the Jew, the Pharisee, the persecutor of the church, the hater of Jesus Christ. And that old Paul, according to Galatians 2, trusted in the law, trusted in his obedience to the law for his salvation and especially for his justification. He had a certain relationship to the law before this. And that old Paul is gone. That old Paul is gone. That old Paul died on the Damascus road when Jesus appeared to him, when Jesus gave him life, when he was converted. And that explains verse 19. For I, through the law, am dead to the law. Literally, I, through the law, died to the law. What happens to your relationship to the law when you die? The law has no more power over you because you have died. Well, Paul died to the law. And the law then lost its power over him. The law then lost its power to condemn him, to curse him, and to damn him. The law then can no longer demand perfect obedience from Paul for his justification because he has died to that law and because Christ has satisfied the law on Paul's behalf and on our behalf. That old Paul is dead. He died. The new Paul then is Paul the believer, Paul the Christian, Paul the apostle, Paul the member of the church, Paul the lover of Christ and his church. Now, of course, these two Pauls are the same person. The transformation, though, is so great that Paul can speak of himself as if he were an entirely different person. Notice verse 19 again. For I, through the law, I'm dead or died to the law that or so that I might live unto God. There was the old I who died and the new I who lives. But they're the same person. But they seem to be two different persons. The old Paul, he lived under the law. He sought his salvation and justification from that law. He died. The new Paul lives unto God. That I might live unto God, we are told here. He lives unto God. He lives in devotion to God. He lives to the glory of God. And notice too, he says that I might live unto God. Not that Christ might live unto God in me and through me and for me and instead of me. 
but that I might live unto God. The new I, as it were, might live unto God. And notice, too, two small words in the text. Both begin with N, now, and not. The word now in the phrase, the life which I now live, provides a contrast between the life that the old Paul lived and the life that the new Paul lives. There's a then, I used to do this, I used to be this, I used to live this way, and there is a now. As a believer, this is how I live. And then there's the word not in verse 20, yet not I is literally yet no longer I. No more I. Nevertheless, I live, yet no longer I, or no more I. The old I, the old Paul, no longer lives. He lives no more because he died. And the new I, or the new Paul, he lives. And that language, although it might be mysterious and confusing to us, that language is used elsewhere in Scripture. For example, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 6 says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, or more literally, that henceforth we should no longer serve sin. Now apply that truth to yourselves, beloved. The old you, the unregenerate, unbelieving, impenitent, fruitless you, the old you is no more. The old you no longer lives. The old you has died. And the new you, the born again, believing, penitent, obedient, fruitful you, the new you, he lives or she lives. It's almost as if as a new creature in Christ Jesus, you are a new person. And that's why you can say with the Apostle Paul, nevertheless, I live, yet not I, or yet no longer I. And the explanation for this transformation then from the old Paul to the new Paul is Paul's death to the law. I died to the law, he says, and Paul's crucifixion with Christ. For I, through the law, am dead or died to the law that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. We all confess and know, beloved, that Christ was crucified. He died on the cross for us some 2,000 years ago. But we also must confess and understand that we were crucified with Christ. 
which is slightly different from he was crucified. We confess in the Apostles' Creed that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, he was crucified, dead, and buried, and thus we can say Christ was crucified for us. He suffered God's wrath and curse for us. He died on the cross to accomplish our salvation. But Paul says something else here, not Christ was crucified for me, but I am crucified with Christ. And that means then that what happened to Christ also happened to me because Christ is the head of his people. He represents his people. He is the source of life for his people. And so every believer can say, and we can say this morning, I am crucified with Christ. We call this truth the mystical union. Not mysticism, but the mystical union or union with Christ. And when you see in the New Testament phrases like in him or with him or together with him, you're speaking there about this union with Christ. Romans 6, 3 through 6 is an example of this kind of union language. Romans 6, 3 through 6, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. And again, Ephesians 2, 5 and 6 Ephesians 2, 5 and 6, Even when we were dead in sins, he hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Also here, beloved, the verb crucified with is in the perfect tense. In grammar, the perfect tense describes an action in the past which has ongoing effects into the present. And rendered into English, the perfect tense is, I have been crucified with Christ. Not I was crucified with Christ, but I have been crucified with Christ. If I said to you, I have been bitten by a snake. A bad thing. I mean a snake bit me in the past and I am still still feeling the effects of that bite in the present. If I say, I have been crucified with Christ, a wonderful truth of our salvation, I mean 
that I was crucified with Christ in the past, I'm still enjoying the benefits of that into the present. I have been crucified with Christ. In fact, Paul's crucifixion with Christ has fundamentally and permanently changed who he is. The old Paul was crucified. The old Paul died. The old Paul was buried. And the same thing's true for every believer. The old me was crucified with Christ, died with Christ, was buried with Christ. That is fundamental, permanent changes for me in the present. The Heidelberg Catechism explains this in Lord's Day 16, question and answer 43. What further benefit do we receive from the sacrifice and death of Christ on the cross? Answer, that by virtue thereof, by virtue of that sacrifice of Christ, by virtue thereof, our old man is crucified, dead, and buried with him, so that, here's the result or the purpose, so that the corrupt inclinations of the flesh may no more reign in me, or no more rule in me, or us, but that we may offer ourselves unto him a sacrifice of thanksgiving. So Paul then died to the law, and as he writes this epistle, he remains dead to that law. That happened to him when he was crucified with Christ, And then Paul then says to Peter, in effect, this is true of you too, Peter and Barnabas and all the rest of you in the church. You were also crucified with Christ. You're also dead to the law. Why then are you living as if this were not true of you? You're living in hypocrisy. Turn from that hypocrisy, Peter and Barnabas, and all the rest. We have seen then, beloved, what happened to the old Paul. The old Paul was crucified with Christ and died to the law. But that's not the end of Paul. He goes on to say, Nevertheless, I live, and the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And although Paul does not explicitly say it here, he also rose again with Christ. If Christ died and was buried and rose again, and we are in him, then we also died and were buried and rose again, which Paul teaches explicitly in Romans chapter 6. And so we have life. We died... We were crucified, we have been crucified with Christ, but now we also have a new life. And that life is the life of Christ, which is the life of the Holy Spirit. We have this new life, the life of regeneration, and we live that life, says the Apostle, in the flesh. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live. 
And that word flesh simply means our ordinary earthly life in this world. Flesh, flesh and blood has the idea of the weakness and infirmity of our human nature. And so Paul is not living this new life in Jesus Christ in heavenly glory yet, as he writes this epistle, but in the flesh. We live by the faith of the Son of God in the flesh. That life of getting up every day in the morning and going to work or to play or looking after a family, eating and drinking and sleeping. The Christian life of living unto God and praying and reading God's word and loving God and the neighbor and serving others and doing good works. That's the life which I live in the flesh. Verse 19, for I, through the law, am dead or died to the law that I might live unto God. We live unto God in the flesh. Not according to the flesh, not after the flesh. There's a way to live. Live in the flesh is one thing, but there's another way to live, which is to live according to the flesh or after the flesh, which is a wicked, self-serving, sinful life, the life of the unbeliever, not the life of the Christian. The unbeliever lives according to or after the flesh, and the apostle, before his conversion, also lived according to or after the flesh, as he sought his salvation and justification in obedience to God's law, he was living according to or after the flesh, because the flesh of man is proud. He lived in pride. He lived in a sense of trying to justify himself by his works. And then when he died to the law, he ceased living according to or after the flesh. A life lived that way, after or according to the flesh, is a life displeasing to God. Romans 8, 5 and 6. Romans 8, 5 and 6. They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, for to be carnally minded or fleshly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And that's why, beloved, we who have died to the law, we who have been crucified with Christ, we cannot live an ungodly life. We may not live an ungodly life, and we cannot live an ungodly life. And if we try to live an ungodly life, we will suffer God's chastisement as a father chastises and corrects his children. We're no longer under the law, 
We're no longer living according to the flesh. We're no longer dead in our sin, but we're dead to sin. Romans 6 verse 2. We have a new life. We live that life. The life of one who is dead to the law. The life of one who has been crucified with Christ. One who has been resurrected with Christ. We live that new life, says the apostle, by the faith of the Son of God. And that's why the apostle writes, Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. As we said earlier, this does not mean that Paul's personality or person has merged with Christ's personality or person so that Paul's personality or person no longer exists. It's union with Christ, not merging into or assimilation with Christ. Christ liveth in me means that Christ is in me by the Holy Spirit. That Christ is quickening me and working in me and sanctifying me with the result that I live unto God. Romans 8, 9 and 10 are very significant here. Romans 8, 9 and 10. Here we have an an explanation of what it means for Christ to dwell in us. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. You notice in those two verses, we have three expressions which are equivalent to one another. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, and Christ himself are all described as being in us. Which means then that Christ is in us by the Spirit, and Christ abides in us by the Spirit through faith, which is the bond which unites us to Jesus Christ, and then the activity of believing and trusting and appropriating him for our salvation. Ephesians 3 verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. So Christ dwells in our hearts by faith, beloved, because we are united to him by faith. And by faith we receive Christ, embrace him, and live out of him. And the life which I live, I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, or by faith in the Son of God. He is the object of that faith. Which means then that Christ is the source of our life. He's the power of our life. Without him we can do nothing pleasing to God. And that's why Peter and Barnabas and the Jewish Christians were so foolish. And so hypocritical too. They were saying by their behavior, if not by their doctrine, that the source and power of their life was the law. 
and the keeping of the law for salvation and especially justification. That's what Peter's hypocrisy was communicating to the church of that day. And that's why Paul had to rebuke him and remind him of these fundamental gospel truths. I, with all Christians, died to the law. I, with all Christians, live unto God. I, with all Christians, have been crucified with Christ. I, with all Christians, live not by the law, not by my own strength, but by faith in Jesus Christ as I derive grace and power and strength alone from him. That's the Christian life, lived out of faith in Jesus Christ. And by the power of that faith in Jesus Christ, by the power of the indwelling spirit, we live unto God. And finally, Paul adds a motivation here. He shows us what his motivation is for living a holy life of devotion to God. It's not the law. It's the gospel. The gospel will motivate us to live a holy life of thanksgiving to God. The law will not. And so he says about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He could have written, Jesus Christ, who loved me and gave himself for me for me, but under inspiration he writes, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And this underlies, underlines the dignity of the person who loved the Apostle Paul. Not a mere man, but the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, he loved me and gave himself for me. He loved me. He was moved by deep affection for me and delight in me. He loved me. He sought my welfare, my good, ultimately my salvation. He loved me. He drew near to me to establish a bond with me. He loved me. Because of that, Paul says, I love him. I live unto him. I live unto his God and Father, who is my God and Father, for the sake of Jesus Christ. This Son of God loved me, and he gave himself for me. He gave himself to me to suffering and to humiliation and to shame and to death, even the death of the cross, to purchase me from death, to purchase me from the devil and hell, to pay for all of my sins, to accomplish my salvation, and to quicken me to new life. Because Christ loved me, the Son of God loved me, and because he gave himself for me, and because he gave his life for me, and gives life to me, 
I am dead to the law. The law can no longer condemn me. I have been crucified with Christ. And I live this new life by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. Our Father in heaven, what a glorious gospel we have that the Son of God loved us and gave himself for us, and that we are dead, we have died to that law which would condemn us, and we have been crucified with thy Son, Jesus Christ. We have a new life, a life which we now live in the flesh by faith in thy Son, Jesus. Write thy word upon our hearts, Grant us to understand and believe it and to live according to it. For Christ's sake, amen.